Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to The Bird Calls, a special two-part episode. I'm your host, Preston Ellis. We've been gone for two weeks now, Ollie. How are all those chores coming? I uh, abandoned them and I left town because it became too much. (laughs) I'm currently (laughs) away from New Orleans on a little bit of a break. Oh, nice, but you finished those beams uh, up on your ceiling. You were sanding them and doing all kinds of stuff. How's that look? Yeah, I I got to one out of five. (laughs) And I gave up. No, it takes a long time, Preston, but you're right. It does look good. I'm going to save a whole bunch of money, at least like 10000 It's crazy how much it costs to redo beams. Whether you- I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You rewrap them, or you get somebody professionally come in and sand them down and stain them. So I just decide I'm going to do it myself. Do it yourself. I'm proud of you. Also, we've got David Grubb, the only man I know who comes down with a cold in the summer. How are you? I'm under the weather, but I'm fighting through. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, and we've got on our the second part of our two-part episode, Kevin Barrios is going to be talking about his latest article with thebirdrights.com. I uh, strongly urge you to check it out. It's great stuff involving the Pelicans potentially signing in trade to Marcus Cousins with Washington Wizards, the only likely candidate I would think that I know of at least. Uh, but it does not involve Otto Porter Jr. So you guys might want to check that out. Uh, before we get started, I also want to give a special thank you to the supporters of this podcast. Thank you guys for being with us all season long. Those who have uh, supported us since our first podcast, all the way to the newcomers now. Uh, thank you to the guys who retweeted our last episode. Uh, Kevin Durant's asterisk, got it. Sherry, Will Ogburn, Nola Pelicans Reddit, Ariel, Charles LaRocca, William Smith, Gareth Crosby, The Landon Blocker, Samuel Wilcher, Daryl Davis, Fred D. Randall, Superstar Snake, RR Number 9, Caleb Lampert, Corey Waldron, Hashtag Pels and Six, of course, Grub, and Waka Waka Wakanda. 
Thank you guys so much. You make this fun for us. And to all those not mentioned on here, join the team. Follow us on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Podbean, Stitcher, pretty much wherever podcasts are found. Now, let's get started. I'm going to go ahead and start with Grub on this one. I want to start off by addressing the the biggest storyline of the week. Of course, we had breaking news with Brian Colangelo today. But earlier in the week, the NFL's decision to punish players who don't stand for the flag. Now, Steve Kerr has had prominent comments, as well as Greg Popovich, LeBron, Steph Curry. We know that our listeners come here for escapism, and, and we're not trying to change anybody's view views, but we know that many of you have served in the armed forces or have a close friend or family member who has. We deeply cherish and respect you know, everybody's bravery and sacrifice. That's, that's not what this is about. This, the players have made it clear that this is about uh, the, the violence suffered by guys like Sterling Brown and Stefan Clark. Black people make up 13% of the population, and yet when it comes to police violence, while the subject is not attacking, they make up 40% of the victims. White people make up 63% of the population and only 40% of those situations. Now, this is what the NFL athletes are trying to protest to the best of my knowledge. Um, let's let's uh, grub, as I said, LeBron mm-hmm. spoke earlier last season and said that he would not kneel. What would you like the NBA to do to sort of support the NFL players on this? Well, I think the NBA... Um has been probably the best uh, example of a league handling this well. Um, Not perfectly, but well. Um, The league already had a rule in place that said that everybody had to stand. Um, We know how far that goes back. You know, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, of course, had to come to a compromise with the league um, for himself where he could bow reverentially in prayer rather than salute the flag. But they've always had the policy in place. But what the league has not stopped the players from doing is expressing their opinions, you know, through the wearing of T-shirts, um, through the use of their social media. The teams, um, you know, themselves have allowed the uh, players to make statements via social media. So the NBA has at least given the players a voice and has not contradicted that voice or what if or what about uh, what about it, that voice. So I think that's where the NBA has stayed ahead. And um, the best thing the players can do in the league is to continue to draw attention to the issues um, in their own way. Kneeling may have passed uh, as the action to take at this point uh, because it's been co-opted for uh, so many different purposes now. Um, so kneeling may no longer be what, what what is required, but I believe that there will be further demonstration uh, once the football season starts. And I think NBA players will continue to speak out as they see fit. Um, you know, we, like you said, Milwaukee did an outstanding job in speaking out on behalf of their player. Um, when he was assaulted by the police. So, you know, th- that's what the NBA is doing well, is it stands behind behind its players. Vivek Renadive out in uh, Sacramento, you know, saying that his community couldn't take that and that they wouldn't stand for it and that his players wouldn't stand for it. You know, that's that's leadership. That's leadership. And the NFL does not have that same kind of leadership because while it thinks it's appeasing someone, it didn't make anybody happy. I think it just made this situation worse. Ali, let's go over to you and get your take on this. The The NBA all, didn't always have the best representatives of the sport. Uh, they classically had, you know, the guys who would hang out late, gambling, smoking, drinking. Um, and and I'm not I'm not saying or not saying that they don't do that anymore. But I do know that at the at the forefront of the NBA right now, you you've got these these wonderfully um, intelligent, thoughtful guys like Steph Curry, like Kevin Durant, like LeBron James. Who, who really involve them, themselves in this kind of conversation and make the NBA better, not just as a game, but also like as, 
as a metaphor for, I, I don't know, progression. Um, what do you think, not, not just in terms of how the NBA has passed the NFL in terms of on-court product, but also in terms of its stars and their willingness to talk about these issues? It's it's wonderful. As David alluded to, the NBA is far and away the best league in, in terms of just showing how it understands current um, issues. And it's so important in today's world, as we've noticed. Um, you know, the NBA understands, I think this is the best way to put it. the NFL doesn't realize and just is avoiding the subject that they're not kneeling out of disrespect is to protest something. It's to protest a certain police brutality against a certain people. A racial inequality. They weren't disrespecting the flag or the military. But in addition, the president making it about that, it's just a shame that the NFL falls suit. And that's something the NFL would or NBA would never do. As David just said, the NBA has had this longstanding rule about how you're supposed to act during the uh, when the anthem is played. So I just wanted to get that out. But you're right, Preston. It's great that the players of this league are also empowered. Um, and I, I don't think we saw a better example of this when uh, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, and uh, uh, who was a oh, join Wade took the uh, floor during the ESPYs and, and um, they, they basically spoke their minds about th that particular issue. And uh, we've seen it all across, um, you know, really since I want to say, you know, even though Adam Silver was really the biggest proponent of pushing issues forward and putting them on the table, like, for instance, with North Carolina and how that transgender bathrooms became such an issue. And he moved the uh, All-Star game to New Orleans. Um, uh, uh, Smoothie King Center that one season a couple of years ago. So you can see how the NBA, not only they, the organization and the franchises and the uh, hierarchy of the uh, commission, the commissioner on down, but it's the players too. And, and they all seem to be on the same page. So that's the beauty of it. I think that's the, that's really the model that you really would like to see these other sports leagues follow. Um, the players should be given a voice because let's face it, they have so many followers. They have, they, um, impact so many different young lives out there so it's great that they're given that platform to be able to go ahead and you know address the issue correctly and not have to hide or be subjected to punishment for just their political views their ideologies you name it and we can talk about this all day but again we'll move on but yeah Preston the NBA it's a class act and I just wish other leagues would follow it Definitely. Remember to follow David Grubb at DM Grubb, Ali at Ali Cosell. And of course, we contribute to thebirdrights.com and Crescent City Sports, where David Grubb's home base is. Let's let's transition into the Pelicans. Thank you guys so much for your thoughtful comments on that kind of stuff. Um, I really want to not 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 shirk away from these kind of conversations, but make sure that we have like an open table discussion about it. Not not just how we can improve the game of basketball, but also how we can improve ourselves and continue communicating and educating ourselves on these things so that we do know what we're talking about whenever we talk about this with with others in our daily lives but let's talk about alvin gentry he got an extension that lines up with anthony davis's and we have to think that dell demp's extension is soon incoming it'll probably be for the same amount of time uh what was your thought david when you got this news it's what we expected i think um you know we talked about the organization not wanting to bet anything farther than anthony's deal and not giving anybody that power um, to mess that up and then still be around <laughs> if that were so to ha were to so happen. So, um, Gentry getting two years is is about what what I expected. It's not a surprise, and I think, like you said, Dems will be shortly behind. Um, same number of of years there. Uh, you know, I think this was the right decision to make. I think you know they both earned it, and I think it's the right length of time. 
All right, Ali, were you surprised that Demps was not extended before Alvin Gentry? And also, when we look back on this, should things potentially not work out and Anthony Davis leave town uh, during that summer, do you think we'll ever go back and lament not moving on from Dell Demps? I'll be honest with you. Um, Dell Demps may have already gotten his extension, guys, because this is not something that is generally publicized by uh the New Orleans franchise. That's not how they handle their business. Mickey Loomis, as soon as the uh, ink is dried by Dell Demp's signature, he's not going to go out there as, as like he hasn't in the past uh, and announce any kind of extensions regarding his general manager. So I'm not expecting possibly for us to even get any news. Um, like I said, it may have already happened, but we had heard both David and I and everybody around the team that this was likely going to happen. So Alvin Gentry getting his extension. You've got to think Dell Demp's is getting extended as well. It just doesn't make any sense that you're not going to extend the general manager that hired this coach who had a very successful season. And Dell Demps had a lot to do with that. He brought in the right moving parts and uh, none bigger than really Nikola Miritich uh, right before the trade deadline. So like I said, person, I'm expecting for everything to work out there. And as David said, it's going to be roughly for probably the same amount of time uh, kind of tied to Anthony Davis's current contract. As far as any regrets, I, I just think you can play that game, um, <laughs> you know, any day of the week for as long as he's been here. And, you know, you might have a different answer every day. So there's real, no real reason I see to go back and all of a sudden put him, you know, up, up in a cross here, so to speak. I think you just got to go with what's transpired most recently. And that is they're finally again on an upward uh, trend, upward curve. And uh, there's a lot of excitement. It's not just how they finish the team, but what bodes well for this uh, future. Not only is AD now a superstar, but Drew Holiday's knocking on it. There's a chance that Demarcus will be back, and he's a you know four-time All-Star. So there's there's still a lot of good vibes. So there's no real reason to go back and kind of lament possibly how things would be different. I think not at this point, anyways. Yeah, not at this point. But we do have possibly the biggest decision in his tenure in his eight years with the New Orleans Pelicans. Of course, as you alluded to, tied to Demarcus Cousins, and we have a lot of questions in regards to Demarcus Cousins from Playboy Jim, <laughs> from Solomon, from Tejada. Uh, Landon Duvall, pretty much everybody wants to know the future of him. We've kind of broken down on the birdrights.com as well as on here. The three probably biggest competitors for DeMarcus at this point is Washington. If he's involved in a sign and trade, they would have to be the likeliest target. And then the other two are the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Lakers. And the Dallas Mavericks are kind of interesting because there's so many centers available in those first five picks where they sit right now. The Los Angeles Lakers, however, however, uh, are not in the top five of the draft. So if they don't add a, uh, a center in free agency, there are a couple of interesting ones on the market, including Yusuf Nurkic. They might seek to add to Marcus Cousins. But at this point to me, David, does it look like David is coming? Or, sorry, does it look like DeMarcus is just going to end up coming back to New Orleans? It seems that way, but um, I would wait to see what dollar amounts that some of these teams throw at him. Um you know, there are situations that may look more attractive once the draft goes by and teams make their trades then. Uh, but, yeah, I think if, if DeMarcus wants – if his situation is he wants to come where he's it's familiar, um, that there's an expectation of winning, then he will. But, um, again, it how insulted will he be by whatever the Pelicans offer him first? And like Ali and I have talked about many times, if it's more than 18 to 22 million, I think that the, the Pelicans – would be making a mistake, especially if they're offering them a long-term deal too. Yeah, Ali, do you think there is any possibility of a long-term contract? I don't see the Los Angeles Lakers tying, you know, 
whatever it would be, four years, like $120 million to him. I don't see Dallas doing that either. However, like you alluded to in your article, should the Dallas Mavericks pull off some kind of a wonder of a draft day trade with, say, the Boston Celtics, who have potentially five first-round picks in the 2019 draft, that would be one of the possibilities. Do you see any possibility that the New Orleans Pelicans could offer some kind of a heavy contract over the course of five years? No, there's no way they're going to make that kind of commitment because that would re- require going into the luxury tax next season with a hobbled DeMarcus Cousins. I don't think there's any expectation of this guy returning to 100% for the first game. Um, I think it would just be fantastic if he could play, say, an average of 20 minutes a game and pretty much play most of the games. I'm sure he'll even start missing the first few back-to-backs for the first few months or something like that. So I think that just doesn't make any economic sense for a team that's really trying to move forward. And that's something Dell Demps really emphasized in the season ending presser. Um, they want to make sure that any kind of deals they make, regardless of who it is, whether it's DeMarcus or anybody else, they want to make sure it's moving forward. So if you go under that, you know, that thought process, that formula, it makes no sense to, you know, give DeMarcus the, the type of money just for next season alone. I'm not even talking about for five years down the road, but just for next season to where it puts you in the, uh, in the luxury tax, because you've got to resign a bunch of other guys too. So I'm with David. Uh, we've talked about it plenty of times. It, it just makes all the sense in the world to kind of give him that two for one, maybe just a one, one plus one type of contract where you've got to do a prove it contract. And, you know, luckily for the Pelicans, they can kind of offer it without it being too big of a, you know, it's not going to be a slap in DeMarcus's face. He shouldn't take it as such simply because nobody else in the league is going to offer him a max deal over four years even. Um, I'm not seeing it. I, I think even Dallas, Mark Cuban understands, even though he went in all after Wesley Matthews, I think that might have opened his eyes as to, you know, it's maybe not this brightest idea of giving a player coming off an Achilles injury that, you know, max money uh, for four years. So outside of Dallas and the Lakers, he's got no other options. So you got to think these teams, everybody's a little bit smarter nowadays. Everybody's a little bit more careful. The cap is not expanding like everybody thought. Sure. There was that jump, but it's not now um, year year after year. It's not climbing as as what everybody had predicted. Uh, we're not even sure if it's going to be at 101 million. It, it all depends on what you know they uh, figure out the accountants do uh, during the July moratorium. So, no, Preston, I think that Demarcus is going to be looking at something in that neighborhood of you know 20 to probably 25 million. I'll give him that. I can see Dallas honestly stepping up. Or maybe even the Lakers, if they don't get LeBron, but they get Paul George, you know, there might be that one team that kind of ups the ante, so to speak. And the Pelicans would then be forced to decide, do we offer that or not? But they're going to climb above what the Pelicans are going to offer simply to, you know, whisk them away. Because DeMarcus does know at the end of the day, this is a winning situation. He wants to play for a playoff team. His buddies are here. So for him, what what the winning thing is, is that uh, he does prove it, let's say, and then he goes over these next two years and performs as well as he can. And, and everybody sees that he gets his skills back. His athleticism is there. He's really not lost that step and he's still an all-star. Then he'll be eligible for that super max. So if he can talk himself into it, if there's no other super offers out there immediately, then he can go ahead and gear himself kind of towards that mindset of, okay, I'm going to play for that next uh, contract, that real big one in two years time when I can sign a super max. So I think that that's the best case scenario for, for the Pelicans. 
All right, Dave, we've got a couple of questions from guys like Crescent City Correct, as well as I mentioned earlier, uh, Playboy Jim. Just in regards to once the Pelicans add DeMarcus Cousins, they lose a lot of their flexibility financially. Not that they have too much, even without him, uh, as they're very close to the cap as it is. But should they re-sign him, they come dangerously close to the luxury tax. And that's before bringing back guys like Darius Miller, Rajon Rondo, Ian Clark, guys on non-guaranteed contracts. What can the Pelicans do to create some wiggle room? And how likely do you think that they even dip their toes into the free agent market at that point, uh, investing in, you know, sign and trades with several teams? I mean, there's not much they can do. And, and we've talked about this, the you, you're trying to move Alexia Jensa. That's number one, is that you're hoping that his expiring deal is attractive to somebody and that you can move him on um, very quickly and hope maybe even have to package him with a second rounder or something to get him away. Uh, but other than that, you're left with a bunch of deals that you can't really unload to other teams. Uh, you know, the guys that they have, you know, they're, they're just not attractive or their contract situation is such that the Pelicans don't have the ability to move them. So you can't I don't I don't know who's going to take Etuan more at this stage. And I don't think the Pelicans are willing to give him up without uh, having some type of tar- uh, target that they know they can get. Uh, and then Solomon Hill right now is a non-starter, I think, for most teams because he hasn't proven that he's can has even come back from his injury from last season, let alone that he's worth $12.5 million. So uh, I don't see the Pelicans being very active in free agent uh, in the free agent market, um, you know, unless it's to retain the guys that they're trying to retain, like Rondo, like Miller. Um, you know, I think that's that's where they start off initially, and then they wait the summer out and see when guys start go their prices start dropping like they did last season. Ali, there's a couple of superstars out on the market right now. Jay Rob is asking about Demar Derozan, uh, obviously like Toronto and Washington, and potentially uh, uh, Portland have some interesting superstars with uh, heavy heavy uh, dollar amounts in their contracts. But the Pelicans wouldn't be interested in Demar Derozan, right? I I don't see it. No, Preston, because Alvin Gentry and the whole system, Chris Finch system, is about spreading the floor out to be on the three-point line. And DeMar DeRozan, even though he started off the year well and he's improved immensely over his course of his career, he's still not that type where you want to sign a max guy to bring in the system alongside a Rajon Rondo, alongside Anthony Davis, who may or may never become that three-point shooter that Alvin Gentry hopes to or envisions. You know, Drew Holiday's not a good one. So, no, the fit isn't there for DeMar DeRozan. All right, that's from J-Rob. Uh, let's go back to David Grubb. We've talked a lot about DeMarcus Cousins at this point, but outside of DeMarcus Cousins, on the roster right now, the Pelicans, like you said, don't have a lot of wiggle room, so they're going to need a breakout season from somebody already on the roster. Uh, who would your likely target be? Well, I think the Pelicans are hoping it's Frank Jackson. Um, you know, that's that's the the eggs are in that basket right now, that they expect him to come in and be able to provide minutes at both guard positions uh, and, and to really stabilize the backcourt in a lot of ways. Um, so I think he's the biggest candidate. Uh, Etwan Moore had his breakout season this year. Uh, I don't, I, I don't think you can expect him to go too much farther than he has. Um, and I don't know if Darius Miller has the ability to do something other than be a jump shooter at this point. So I, I would say, you know, the hope is Frank Jackson and, um, that's who I'd have to identify to and look towards and see if maybe he can be what they expected him to be when they drafted him. All right. Thank you. That's from Tejeda. Uh, sorry, get in there, Ollie. Now I was going to say in addition to, and I fully agree with the Frank Jackson, I think Cheek Diallo still falls in that category. 
you kind of we just saw what Jordan Bell did for the Golden State Warriors this season, and uh, you kind of hope that Cheek Diallo can go, go ahead and cement kind of the similar role where he comes off the bench as a big man and an energetic guy that um, plays about 20 minutes a game because the Pelicans have to get something out of these younger guys on these good salaries sooner or later. So, yeah, those are the two names I would be looking at. A quick question from Solomon. Uh, Can the Pelicans accept losing Boogie to a non-contender, making somebody like Dallas better? And I I think at this point, we've all alluded that they they just have no choice. If somebody is willing to come in there with a max-laden four-year contract, the Pelicans have no choice but to let him walk even to a competitor in the Western Conference like the Dallas Mavericks. This one's from Tejeda. I'll go to Ali. If we re-sign Boogie, do you think the Pelicans continue running the floor or do you think they change their sets and their scheme at some point to, to help alleviate the stress of some guy who's coming back from such an injury? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, the thing we got to understand is DeMarcus isn't going to be playing those 30 plus minutes a game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised even if he's not a starter in the first month or two where honestly the Pelicans can play two different types of uh, systems. I think everybody has kind of talked about that to where DeMarcus. Yeah. When he's out there on the floor, you go ahead and play slower even maybe even make him a center, keep him kind of close to the rim where he doesn't have to worry about that first step from the three point line, try and get into the rim. Cause he's just not going to have it. It's going to be a, it's not going to be a painful process, but it's going to be a slow process and him just getting his footing back. So if he does return to the team, I could definitely see them slow it down for when he's on the court. Um, and that makes all the sense in the world, because like I say, he's not going to play those big men. So you can go ahead and have him playing kind of a different style with the reserves off, um, off the bench. So that keeps the, the the starters intact that did so well and uh, playing in, you know, first gear, run, running up and down the court uh, with Anthony Davis at the five, probably Meritich at the four and so on. So, yeah, I can see a pressing. I can see it working where Alvin Gentry decides to, you know, almost play like two different styles a little bit. Cool. Crescent City Connect asking about Ed Davis. I know that Kevin would love to add him to our ranks. That would probably signal the end of Emeka Okafor. He does a lot of the same things that Check Diallo does, but he provides more size. And Check Diallo seemed to thrive at the four position when he was there paired with guys like Nikola Maritich and Anthony Davis. So it, it could be a possibility. However, he'd have to come at a very small uh, number, potentially even a veteran minimum. And we'll have to see if he can draw more interest in that. Uh, on the free agent market, we know that the center the center market has grown tepid over the the past two years, but there might be some interest for a guy who, like you alluded to, is so good on the offensive boards. Grub, before we get to our last question from Landon Duvall, prediction: Who is your Pelicans starting five on opening night? Ooh, um, well, I think the starting five will be uh, Davis, of course, uh, Miritich, um, more, uh, more. Uh, Holiday and Rondo. Okay. Uh, does, so does that mean that DeMarcus Cousins is coming off the bench? If he's here, he comes off the bench. If he's not, he's not. So, <laughs> But either way, I don't think he starts at the beginning of the season, um, at least not until, uh, you know, like I said, a couple months in from him being back. And even then, uh, who knows how they're playing. If they're If they're playing at a very high level, there's no need to change and put him into the starting lineup just because he's DeMarcus Cousins. I think the whole first year, it would be best served if he played limited minutes and came off the bench. All right, what about you, Ollie? I think they're gonna. the one difference is going to be each one more. I don't think he's going to start. I think they're going to try their damnedest to find somebody else, put put more back in his uh, regular reserve role where he's more comfortable. 
Um, he really extended himself this year, and it was great. I mean, he, he was fantastic. He did as much as he possibly could, and he was actually a net positive a lot of times on the floor. But Pelicans just want more size. Uh, if it's not going to be Solomon Hill, I can honestly see them chasing somebody with um, most of the MLE money. I've got my fingers crossed that Ron, Rajon Rondo doesn't decide to take up all the uh, mid-level exception and that, that gives the Pelicans a chance to maybe bring in a Wilson Chandler. Maybe got fingers crossed it could be like a Will Barton or somebody even bigger. Uh, simply because people aren't going to have that much money to spend. And there are some good tantalizing small forwards out there. So that that's my hope. If yeah. Not, I, hey, Preston, if not, why don't you talk about what, you know, I like your Tob- Tobias Harris. You know, they can maybe possibly make a trade like that. Yeah, the problem with something like that is in the offseason, a lot of these teams have have a lot of optimism. Uh, this is something McNamara used to talk about at the trade deadline. Once you get all these teams who are kind of mailing it in at that point and begin the the tank train, uh, it's it's much easier to get bargains like the one we got for Nikola Meritich. So in that regard, sometimes patience pays off. With that being said, just uh, based on my familiarity with the Orlando Magic and kind of what they're doing at this point, uh, there's there's a lot of guys that the Magic want to move on and and would give away pretty cheaply at this point. And I'm not sure of how the logistics would work but if the pelicans wanted to take a shorter contract like a terrence ross at 10 million and add somebody like you know a wesley owundu who's a, a wing who can play competitive defense and he's developing his runner but he's still a project something like that for a solomon hill and a first round pick uh something to offload one of either solomon hill and alexis agenza and adds somebody who can give meaningful minutes because based on what we saw from Solomon Hill in the playoffs, I'm not sure how much time he can give you in a real competitive series. Uh, they, they really need somebody with more playmaking on both ends of the floor. We know that Solomon Hill will, will return to uh, his defensive prowess or we hope to uh, uh, coming back from that torn hamstring. We have to hope that he improves his lateral movement, uh, gets a bit more confidence. He, he was uh, on the record saying that he really felt rusty because all the guys are tired at the end of the year. They're all playing 40 minutes. So he really couldn't even play any pickup against these guys. He kind of went into the game for his first real min- meaningful um, all out running up and down the court. So hopefully he'll be, he'll be better this year, but the Pelicans definitely have to, uh, do their diligence and try to move him if they can. This will be our last question. Thank you guys so much for all of your questions. This is from Clint White and it's mid-season. How many hours per week do both of you put into your writing? And I think he's uh, referring to Kevin and Ali, but we're going to throw this over to David Grubb. David, does all this writing increase your love of the game or does it diminish it at any point? Uh, How does it contribute to your view of basketball in general? Well, I think writing took my... uh my attention to the game to another level. Uh, You have to pay attention to so much more. I think Um, one of the things that, you know, football commentators talk about is fans watch the ball and that's what they realize, you know, that's where they, their eyes are. And I think the, the function of us as writers is to give them the things that they don't normally look at and to understand how these plays develop and and how situations um, are dealt with by teams. And then ultimately what people are thinking and reacting to. Uh, So, you know, that's why I love it is just that, the ability to tell the fan more than what they would, they, they normally look at um, and to give it just a, a more full uh, bodied approach to the game. All right. What about you, Ali? I would say an average week during the NBA seasons, <clears throat> writing alone, there's about probably 10 to 20 hours a week, but then also you've got to figure out that you're going to, uh, you've got to add in the fact of games, uh, following what's going on in the NBA, like whether it's watching other games or going to practices or just doing research for articles that really maybe then doubles that amount uh so it's it's kind of a passion <laughs> you got to have it as david just said um it's not a very well-paying enterprise and for me it's just honestly more of a hobby than anything um so yeah uh 
10 to 20 hours a week. But like I said, it, it's you, you do it because you love it. And of course, we're, we're NBA fans through and through. You see other people and there's other beat writers I've met and uh, other writers in general. And you kind of get the vibe that they're not really basketball fans. And so it kind of, you know, it doesn't so much show in their writing, but if you follow them along or whatever, try and engage them in a conversation about it, you can kind of just tell right away. So I think what David and I bring and what, you know, what bloggers do is it's a great thing is simply because they put that passion out there. They put the, the team first and, and you can see them kind of being excited and motivated. And I think that's why, honestly, we have such a good following. Honestly, people can kind of relate to us better than they can, you know, just a standard writer who's just writing in basically box score numbers or something like that. Yeah, I'll definitely continue on to this. Uh, thank you to Clint White. Is being in Orlando, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, Pelicans fans, but even when I lived in New York for about 10 years, it's it's very difficult uh, based on the circles that I run into find like diehard, intelligent uh, basketball fans who really understand and appreciate the games and, you know, don't encounter you in a grocery store and just be like, hey, how about the, you know, that LeBron or whatever the national storyline is based on the moment, but guys who really watch the game, you know, night in, night out and really have an appreciation and an understanding for player development, coaching, uh, philosophies, that sort of stuff. And uh, I, I found that at Pelican Debrief and now at the birdrights.com, just having a a couple of guys who who really love basketball as much as you do want to talk about it, have great insights, have great ideas. Uh, David Grubb is one of the smartest guys. Ali, also an incredible writer, so so hardworking, articles out every single day that I read to and I draw from, not just to educate myself on this kind of stuff, but but also like it's 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 fun to like you know be buddies with somebody and then read their work every day. Kevin Barrios, uh, he doesn't write as much as these two guys, but whenever he does, he puts so much thought into it, and it's so interesting. Um, so it really does, in 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 my terms, really does grow the appreciation of the game, and I feel like I'm learning so much more about the game. Uh, talking to Krim. Tim Crangis of, uh, I think you follow him at T1M underscore NBA. He wa- he writes for Forum Blue Gold, Nylon Calculus, Real Ball Insider. Uh, he used to be in analytics and scouting, and he's launching something big new. He wouldn't, uh, big and soon, he wouldn't tell me what it was, but that guy is so intelligent. The way that he breaks down every single play and schematics and all that stuff, it's, ju- it's just so damn interesting. So it starts with the love of the game, and then it just grows from there. And if it flames out, uh, that's that's just really too bad, and I think most of those guys we see uh, don't really last too long in in the blog world. A couple of them, you know, a couple of articles per year, and then they kind of fizzle away. But for now, thank you so much, Ali and David. Uh, this is a three parter. I said it was a two parter, but of course we have Kevin Barrios coming up next with his breakdown of what the Pelicans should get in return from the Washington Wizards for a trade with Demarcus Cousins, and then I've got an interview at the end with Brandon Robinson, who has uh, an interview with one of Demarcus Cousins' high school coaches. Otis Hughley, who is now currently with the Sacramento Kings, and he is going to tell us why he thinks DeMarcus Cousins is definitively coming back. But for now, follow David Grubb at DM Grubb. David, what are you working on uh, the next couple of weeks? Um, what I'm working on is a piece on Anthony Davis and the next steps that he can take in his career, um, the things that we'd like to see him work on over the summer and and develop um, to take his game to the place where he is not just one of the top three players in the league, but the undoubted heir to the throne uh, for uh, to King James. Cool. What about you, Ali? Uh, I'm, I'm going to write a little bit something about Anthony, or Anthony, Alvin Gentry getting his new contract. I want to talk about how it is a good idea. Uh, so I'm going to have something up quick and uh, put that out tomorrow morning. And then we've got a couple of guys, Trevor and Chris, over at the site. They're going to be putting in a lot of stuff for the draft, upcoming draft. And then later in the week, I want to start like looking at the season overall and uh, see what the numbers tell you on which direction, which free agents the Pelicans should be chasing. 
I was kind of coming up brainstorming while I was flying today. Uh, at least I put my my uh, time, the wasted time, the good use up in the air. So I'm going to be working hard on trying to come up with what I think is my free agent plan for the Pelicans. All right, don't go anywhere. We've got Kevin coming up next, followed by Brandon Robinson. All right, this is Take Two with Kevin Berrios, who has been very patient with me. Thank you so much to Kevin. And we were just explaining how he just went to the West Coast on a road trip, and tomorrow he's going to Pensacola, and then next month, Las Vegas, where we are going to be hanging out with Frank Jackson and Shaq Diallo. However, Kevin, the Pelicans just announced today that they are not going with our friend Jamel McMillan as their head coach. Instead, they're going with Mr. Hansen. Were you surprised by this? Uh, I, I was a little surprised, um, but when I sent a message about it to you and Ollie, Ollie kind of, you know, said it's true that every year they've used a different assistant coach to uh, coach the team. So, you know, they might just want to spread it around, get those guys some sort of game management experience, which is cool to help the staff develop. And, you know, you know, it's different being an assistant coach than actually having to be there on the bench, um, you know, knowing when to call a timeout, knowing what rotations to run. Um, personnel groupings work and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's a good idea by the Pelicans. I mean, obviously, you know, we like seeing um, Jamel out there because he is a friend of a pod and we talk to him a lot and he comes on this. Well, not me personally, but uh, Ali talks to him a lot and uh, you guys have had him on this pod and he's been on other pods. Uh, you know, I think he's been on, has he been on In the Know? I'm not sure, but he's definitely been on podcasts with uh, Kumar and, um, you know, so it's awesome that we have a, a coach that's willing to talk to, you know, guys like us who aren't, you know, big national media or things like that. So, you know, you always like to see him uh, get showcased a little bit, too. Definitely. He even had a question and answer session for fans, I want to say, in late March on Twitter. And he was on the Pelicast with Kumar. And I think the rumor is now that Mason Ginsburg and Kumar are taking over In the Know. So technically, he has been on uh, In the Know via their new host, Kumar. Yeah, but uh, he will be. If, yeah. if those guys are taking over, which is cool. Um, for glad to hear that. Glad to hear Kumar's getting a podcast. You know, he's nice when he was on ours, and I think he had one briefly for a little while, but they didn't really. They only did a couple episodes, but you know, he's a smart guy, so it's cool that um, that that um, podcast is going to live on. You know, we need as many as we can get. Definitely. And we've had both those guys on this podcast, actually. Uh, so shout out to Mason as well as him. And going back to Jamel McMillan, um, I remember last year that Kevin Hansen spent a lot of his offseason time with Czech Diallo, even outside of Las Vegas Summer League. He was in Los Angeles training with him and stayed in constant contact. So all these guys are connected. And whether Jamel's there or not, he's still going to continue working with these guys. It'll be nice to see Kevin at the forefront of the conversation of working with Frank Jackson. And of course, I just mentioned he's familiar with Czech Diallo. Let's go back to the reason that you're here, Kevin. You wrote a terrific article uh, today, 2018 NBA trade scenario. DeMarcus Cousins sign and trade with Washington Wizards involving Kelly Oubre and Thomas Sadoransky. Obviously, uh, most of the dialogue has been about Otto Porter, mostly because he's a name. And secondly, because their 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 salaries align uh, so uh, perfectly. But but before we get to that, why don't you discuss a little bit? There's there have been rumors that the Dallas Mavericks might uh, take a bit of interest in DeMarcus Cousins. Talk about why you think DeMarcus Cousins will be involved in a sign and trade and not just sign simply as a free agent elsewhere. Well, I don't necessarily think that I think that that's the case. And in fact, I think sign and trade is a very tough possibility for the Pelicans. I think the numbers of teams that are able to make that move are willing to make that move. And also that Boogie would want to play for is it, the window on that is closing. Like I think, you know, previously when we first started to hear, uh, you know, uh, tr 
we first started to pull um, information out of the sky, however you want to say that, that, you know, the team might be looking to move on from DeMarcus Cousins, which we didn't think was the case earlier in the season at all. Um, that, uh, you know, you had teams like uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, mentioned, and now that they hired uh, Mike Budenholzer from Atlanta, I just don't see Boogie fitting in his system, and I don't think he would want him there. Um, then Dallas uh, is also a sign-and-trade destination that we've heard talked about, but when I look at Dallas's roster, I don't see anything that would really interest me in getting getting that back. I mean, you could say Harrison Barnes, but that contract, I don't really like him on that contract, and I've never really been a big Harrison Barnes guy. I know he's played a lot better in uh, in Dallas than he was playing when he was in Golden State, um, but I still, and, you know, obviously he would fill that hole at the three, although I feel like he's more of a small ball four at this point in his career. Um, but um, so Dallas is is an option uh, just because, you know, Mark, uh, God, why am I drawing a mental blank on his Mark name? Cuban. Mark Cuban. Um, you know, he wants to always feel the winner and he wants to uh, get stars there. You know, we see him constantly hunting people, hunting uh, DeAndre Jordan years ago, those, those sort of things. So they make sense as a destination, be, but also Rick Carlisle being a coach there. I just don't see Rick Carlisle signing off on DeMarcus Cousins playing over there. And I don't think DeMarcus Cousins would necessarily want to play with Rick Carlisle. Although I could be wrong about that because, you know, he actually did really like playing for Mike Malone. And Mike Malone is a very stern, no-nonsense kind of guy like Rick Carlisle. So maybe that's what Boogie wants. Um so maybe that would be good for him, but I just don't see Carlisle wanting it. And, you know, there's just so many hoops you got to jump through. And so I don't necessarily think that a sign and trade is something that's going to happen. I think, honestly, we're either going to re-sign him and then trade him later on in, in the season if they decide they don't want him uh, anymore or they're just going to let him walk. Because I don't, I, you know, this trade that I proposed to Washington, I think makes sense because you're getting quality players back and you're not crippling yourself. Uh, whereas if you send Boogie to Dallas, you have to take back some salaries that, you know, I don't know. I mean, you could take Wes Matthews for a year. He's he's uh, expiring, so that's not terrible. But, um, you know, I just don't see a lot of long-term players coming back that you'd want to hold on to for a long time. Whereas in the trade I proposed, which, you know, the main two pieces coming back um, for the Pelicans are Tom, Thomas Sadoransky and Kelly Oubre, who I think fill big holes for the Pelicans. They're both young um, Sadoransky's a little bit older. He's 26, but he's still, you know, a, a young player and they're on, you know, good contracts. And there's guys that you could see being a part of a core going forward. And, um, you know, when I, the, the popular trade with Washington, like you said, was for Otto Porter, but I just don't trust his back. And also I just feel like in a couple of years, that contract is going to, we're going to think about that contract the way we think about the Nicholas Batum contract. And it's just going to be sort of a crippling Thing there on our cap sheet that we have a player that's not producing at the level he used to play at um, because of injury, uh, chronic injury, those kind of things. So I would try to avoid that kind of deal. This is a chance to get some serviceable players back without you know crippling yourself for the future. Definitely. I want to cover some things that we just discussed. Uh, one, 
there's only real, really three contenders for DeMarcus Cousins outside of the New Orleans Pelicans. The first and foremost of those being the Los Angeles Lakers, who look to be a big player in the NBA offseason this year. Of course, some of the big names being LeBron James, Chris Paul, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Any of those uh, could be assimilated right into Los Angeles cap space. If they were to acquire three players, they would need to sign and trade for the third, but they can just take in two, uh, and that is not uh, including... I know Julius Randle is one of them. There's a couple of other guys that they need to re-sign or that they need to talk about re-signing. After that, there's the Chicago Bulls. You wouldn't think he would be really interested in them. He's made it clear he wants to play for a contender. There's the 76ers. They'd still have to bring back Redick, and they're, uh, obviously he's not going to play for them with Joel Embiid there. Atlanta, not a contender again. And the last one being the Dallas Mavericks. And the only way he really considers them is like if Ali proposed, they're able to swing some kind of big draft day, draft day trade, uh, maybe acquiring Jalen Brown for that fifth pick. Danny Ainge is said to be enamored with Mo Bamba. I don't think that would happen. I think Boston has five potential first-round picks in the 2019 draft. I think they would probably unload a lot of those, and Dallas would just reset. So I really just don't think there's a lot of players out there. So I think you're absolutely right. A sign-and-trade is what it's going to be if DeMarcus Cousins is not re-signed. Now let's dive into that. You mentioned Otto Porter. He's the one that they would probably like to unload just because it's neat and they want to keep their depth. But with that being said, this is compelling not just because uh, the Pelicans acquired Thomas Sadoransky and Kelly Oubre Jr., but you've got some other moving pieces in there like Jason Smith. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, you got to make salaries match. Um, so, you know, Gortat would come back and Smith would come back um, with you. And then those two guys are on expiring deals. So you can either hang on to them and let them expire. And, like, like obviously neither one of those guys is a desired um, acquisition. But if we did have to hold on to them, then, you know, Gortat would be a better backup center than we've had in quite a while. Um, and, but the thing is, like, you, you know, I mentioned you what, what news you've told me and, in, uh, in you know, in our private discussions about uh, Orlando Magic and Gortat wanting to retire a member of the Magic and how the Magic are trying to unload any long-term deals that they have to sort of restart over. Um, so, you know, sending Gortat there to get, you know, another piece, you know, whether that's, you know, you could combine Gortat and Smith and get Evan Fournier if that is something that you like. I personally don't like Evan Fournier, but you could send him over there and maybe get like a like um, Jonathan Simmons, who I love, and perhaps Sheldon Mack, who could be a very valuable piece if the Pelicans were able to get him from the Magic because... He has a $6 million contract, but only $1 million of that is guaranteed. So then you could, like, move him to a team that's trying to dump more salary for a guy that, you know, makes 4 or $5 million, and then they save some money by waving, um, waving Mac, and they don't have to pay him a $1 million, and then we get a guy that's, you know, serviceable for, you know, whatever role you need, and which I also go on to discuss options like that throughout the article, whether it's, you know, trading to get another backup big man, um, or just adding some more uh, length on the perimeter. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, you know, always, like, looking at um, trade scenarios. They're fun to write about. They're fun to speculate about. I love playing virtual GM on 2K. Um, so it's just doing that. I mean, obviously, you try to make stuff that makes sense for both sides. And normally, it's it's hard to tell if you made sense for both sides because a lot of, you know, out-of-market guys don't really read your stuff, but I did get reached out to from a writer from the Washington Wizards who thought it was a very good trade, and uh, you know, he asked me a few questions about other possibilities because he's actually writing a sign-and-trade piece 
uh, for Boogie from their perspective. Um, so we talked about that a little while ago. Um, so that's pretty interesting. And it's, it's, you know, nice to know that it, it seems like somebody who's very, you know, focused in on the Wizards would think that this trade could possibly work and would be beneficial for both sides as well. Yeah, and the conversation could continue. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, Marcin Gortat going to Orlando. Uh, Marcin Gortat and Jason Smith and Alexis Zajinser are all extremely interesting prospects if they're uh, expiring, which they are. So right. package those guys together, and that's somewhere around $23 million. Even if you only combine two of them, uh, if somebody just wanted to unload somebody like a Terrence Ross, obviously he's an expiring, so he's not maybe the best candidate for this. Maybe a Mo Harkless. Portland's kind of in salary cap hell right now. They're going to have to up- offload players at some point. Toronto's kind right. of in the in the same position. They've got Norman Powell at somewhere around that mark. So that's another interesting conversation that could continue after this. Maybe uh, Brooklyn... Uh, I was I was seeing something as part of a three team trade. If they're obsessed with Otto Porter and he gets thrown in there instead of all these guys, uh, you could offload some version of D'Angelo Russell and maybe like a Damari Carroll or something and bring them to New right. Orleans. But but the the prospects, like you said, are endless. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, or even um, you combine them together and say you wanted to get like a T.J. Warren from uh, Phoenix. You could send all those guys to Phoenix and get T.J. Warren and and Tyson Chandler's expiring. Um, to make the money work and they just have a bunch of expiring guys because, you know, Phoenix isn't ready to take the next step yet. Um, you know, and they got Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson and, uh, you know, whoever they're going to draft uh, in the draft, you know, to go with Booker and uh, build their young core that way. You know, I'm sure they'd be happy to take a first round, another first round pick from the Pelicans and, you know, some expirings to dump uh, maybe TJ Warren if they feel like, you know, Josh Jackson's ready to take over that role. Yeah, so now we're talking about a lineup of John Wall, Bradley Beal, um, Otto Porter Jr., Markeith Morris, and DeMarcus Cousins at the five. That that does sound intriguing, and it sounds like it's something that works. Uh, it's advantageous to both sides. Do you think this is realistic, Kevin? I mean, it depends on how much, uh, you know, I think Washington is a team that we've talked about this before. I mean, I've even, I even threw this trade idea out back in our, the last pod I was on when we had uh, Grub and you and Ollie in my apartment. Um, I think it works uh, for both sides because look, Washington is Ernie Grunfeld is kind of in the position that Dell Demps was in last year, you know, except for that the wizards have been winning. They've been going to the playoffs consistently, but they just can't get past you know, the next level. They can't really make a move and really be a contender. So they need to do something to shake that roster up. Um, And, you know, apparently there's, you know, they have problems in their locker room. Apparently they have, you know, some players that don't like each other. So they need to decide who's part of that core and and who's not and move on and try to replace those guys. And this, you know, clearly John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins have a very good relationship. and, And clearly John Wall is the guy that, Washington wants to base their team around. Um, so you bring him a guy that satisfies him. Now, if Porter's the problem, then probably Porter is the guy that gets sent out. But if, you know, if John Wall's not so enamored with Kelly Oubre or, you know, obviously Sadoransky's probably not a big deal for him because he's a backup point guard. And what was really shocking was that he played really well when John Wall was out hurt. And then when they got to the playoffs, they started the they they didn't use them. They went with Ty Lawson, who they just signed out of China, and you know Sadaransky who's hardly got any minutes, so that that was unusual. So it seems like maybe they're ready to move on from him too. 
But Sadoransky could be a huge get for the Pelicans, I think, because you're talking about a six seven guy who can handle pass, shoot the three, he can play three positions for you. Um, he feels, you know, exactly what the Pelicans are looking for. Um, and he's a guy that's used to playing uh, a point guard, so, you know, playing point guard and facilitating and making plays for others. So um, that's really what you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense for both sides because, you know, Washington needs to do something to shake something up and to take a gamble. And really for them, it isn't that big of a gamble because what are you giving up? You're giving up Otto Porter's, you know, intended backup, basically, although Kelly Oubre starts a lot um, and they play, um, you know, sometimes they play them both together at the forwards where you're giving up basically a, a young prospect, a, a backup and, and a backup point guard and you're getting an all-star center, although you're gambling on him because he is coming back from an Achilles injury. Um, so I think it, it does work for both teams. Um, and, you know, they get to unload a little bit of cap because they need to get below the tax. Um, you know, they still probably have to move Markeith Morris. And, I mean, I'm, they would love to move uh, Jan Mahimi, but I don't see anybody really taking on that contract. So uh, this is just something that helps them on that way. They get rid of Jason Smith. They get rid of Gortat. Um, so they do clear up some space. Yeah, and for those of you wondering, that would put the Pelicans into the tax. So in order to bring back guys like Rajon Rondo and Ian Clark and Darius Miller and that sort of thing, they would need to shed uh, one of those players. But that should come quite easily to them with expiring contracts in hand like Jason Smith, Alexis Agensa, and Marcin Gortat. It shouldn't cost all that much. Or should the Pelicans hold on to them and go into the tax, then they've got $23 million in those three players alone coming off the books with Solomon Hill and Etwan Moore heading into the final year of their contracts. Now, just to touch upon uh, some of the, the candidates for DeMarcus Cousins' landing spots, we've gone through all of them at nauseum. I think at this point, we can safely say there are really only three contenders, one being the Wizards that we just mentioned, and the other two being the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Lakers. So with that being said, Kevin, um, gun to your head, does DeMarcus Cousins come back to New Orleans in July? I, you know, there was, you know, I went from absolute certainty that he was coming back to, man, he's not coming back to, I don't know. I think once the, you know, they get some distance from that loss in Golden State uh, and get to look at film and um, they get to start to lick their wounds a little bit, I think they're going to see that they need him more than they thought they did if they were truly thinking that they could move on without him. I'm talking about the Pelicans and Del Dimps. And I think Boogie's going to have a little bit of a, uh, a sticker shock when he sees what's out there for him. And I think both sides will be able to come back and reconcile. And I do think he, I'm starting to believe that he will be back here again next year, which is completely fine with me. Um, I think, uh, you know, it'll be a, an incentive laden deal. And it'll be a short deal with DeMarcus Cousins controlling the opt-out. So, like, if he comes back strong, he can opt-out and then get paid like he should have been paid had he not been injured. Um, so I, I do think that his his best way to get paid and his best way to be on a winning team is to come, come back to the Pelicans. Um, and I think the best way for the Pelicans to really make noise in this league is to bring DeMarcus Cousins back. But, you know, if they decide to move on, um, there are ways to make this team better. And, uh, you know, you, you got to be hopeful even with either way because DeMarcus Cousins changes the complexions of, of this team for sure. Um, he brings something to the table that you can't get 
out there, but we did see success with this uh, roster that we had now going into the playoffs. And there are guys out there that you're going to be able to add. And this is going to be more of a destination than it's ever been before, where you can see guys that will take a little bit less money to play with Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, Nikola Miritich. So I, I think um, regardless, the offseason outlook is rosy. Um, and I think we should be excited about that. And we should just put faith in, you know, I know you questioned Del Dems a lot in the past. I've always been a big Dell supporter. I have faith in him to make the right decision in this situation. I'm glad I don't have to be the one to make that decision uh, because it is tough because, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is an incredible player, but there's also all kinds of other factors you got to, you know, you got to consider. All right. Uh, the article is on thebirdrights.com right now. You can follow him at Kevin B for Bounce. Uh, stay tuned to him on Twitter because this is just part one, folks. Fantastic read. Uh, I highly recommend this to everybody out there. Kevin, anything else you'd like to plug before you head off to Pensacola? No, I mean, like I said, um, this is a three-part thing. I'll be doing uh, what if he stays uh, and then what if he just walks? You know, what what can we do to build a roster? Uh, each way, you know, it's a three-part thing. Um, it's not, it's not like last season. I wrote a three-part thing, but it was all one plan um, because it was a little bit more clear back then. But now you have to like look at, you know, weigh the the boogie options out there, and then try to build a team whatever way is possible um, around whether it's a sign and trade or or he just signs with somebody else or we bring him back. So um, I'll have three versions of that coming soon. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll be discussing more like low level free agents that we could look at and perhaps bring in, um, which will be fun to talk about as well. All right. Stay tuned. Next up, Brandon Robinson. And now joining us from B-Ball Society, host to Scoop B Radio and seen on CNN, CBS, ESPN and NBA TV. Quite the introduction. It's Brandon Robinson. How's your summer going so far, sir? Busy as the fall, winter, and spring is, man. The basketball is a game that doesn't stop. Thank you for so much for having me. Of course, man. What do you think about the finals so far? It's pretty one-sided. Uh, I, I wished it was really a 1-1 one, one series. Game two I knew was going to be difficult, but as we all know, uh, game one uh, could have gone a lot differently if George Hill had made a free throw or J.R. Smith had passed it in the corner for LeBron for an open three. I believe Kyle Korver was open as well, man, but... Uh, hopefully the Cavs and the Warriors can kind of settle some things out in Cleveland as the shift, the series shifts to the East Coast. So we'll see what happens. All right. Before we get to the main course, just one follow-up question. What do you think about all this talk that LeBron wasn't supportive enough uh, of his teammates during that timeout in between uh, the, the review of the play in overtime? Uh, I, I think that anybody would be upset. I mean, you saw uh, the disheartening people disheartened on social media, not to say that their coach or player – um, but what I will say is that um, I think LeBron is a competitor and he wants to win. I think with social media, a buzz all the time, um, I think that it's easy to take whatever LeBron does and and kind of um, uh, skew it to how you want to skew it. But Michael was just as competitive, if not more competitive, and would get ticked with his teammates and say things in the huddle. So I think LeBron is in a situation where it's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Um, but I, I think that um, when he was sitting there kind of pouting, it makes you ask or wonder, uh, what didn't the camera catch? Just because everybody is on 24-hour LeBron watch. 
Yeah, that's right. I, I'm going to transition uh, over into our main course, but I want to get back to what you were talking about, about the criticism of LeBron and touch on some other uh, popular national storylines right now. But let's get to the main course first. Uh, of course, on Basketball Society Online, you recently interviewed one of the assistant coaches to the Sacramento Kings, Otis Hughley. Hughley, sorry, uh, excuse me with that. Tell us a bit about what he said in regards to DeMarcus Cousin. Well, I mean, he talked about a wide range of topics. Otis Hughley was the uh, assistant coach of the Sacramento Kings when uh, DeMarcus was there and was also his high school uh, basketball coach out in Alabama while he played. Um, he just marveled at the, the athlete uh, that DeMarcus Cousins is, said, you know, that um, this offseason is going to be a very interesting offseason because everybody thinks that maybe he'll leave and bolt and go for greener pastures, but that DeMarcus is one of the most loyal guys uh, that you'll ever meet and, and is misunderstood. Um, he's a guy that is a big relationship guy and a guy that legitimately loves his family, loves people. And, you know, once you get to know him, um, he, he's uh, an interesting guy. But I think that the free agency caveat is the part that, you know, many people on Twitter uh, were um, talking about. But more than anything, he said that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins has a desire uh, to stay in Sacramento, or excuse me, in uh, New Orleans with the Pelicans. Now, the article is DeMarcus Cousins, former Sacramento Kings coach, says Boogie wants to be in New Orleans. That I know. Now, the question here, Brandon, of course, is that torn Achilles. How much is he worth? Does he deserve the full five years, $176 million deal? And it looks like the two of them are uh, Del Demps, uh, that being, and DeMarcus Cousins, are playing a bit of chicken right now, uh, not solely due to the torn Achilles, but also it's kind of a dwindling market out there for big men. The only two major suitors out there potentially could be the Dallas Mavericks, maybe the Los Angeles Lakers, maybe uh, another contender yet to be discovered like uh the washington wizards potentially in a sign and trade if if the pelicans can either take on Otto porter or maybe a three-team trade for somebody like alan crab and damari carroll if they're interested in adding two wings instead of one but but talk to you you talked about his loyalty talk about how important money plays and factors into this based on your communication with otis hughley how how important is it for for boogie to get paid very important um when speaking to Coach Hughley, you know, he said that he's not going to be nickel and dime. DeMarcus is too smart for that, um, and DeMarcus knows what he brings to the table. Um, you look at a Pelicans team that was able to face the Golden State Warriors uh, and, and, and compete, you know, didn't, didn't win, but they competed. But also, you look at the, the surprise win in, in the playoffs over the Portland Trailblazers who, without DeMarcus Cousins. Imagine if DeMarcus had played against the, the, the Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers. Hughley said himself he thought it would be more of a competitive uh, matchup had DeMarcus been playing uh, in it. But um, I, I think fr from the money perspective, um, I think that New Orleans gives him the combination of money and wins. You're, you're pairing with Anthony Davis. Uh, who's had an MVP caliber season, won't be the MVP, but, um, you know, I, like Hughley said in the, in the interview, um, he talked about the, the Pelicans' business model. Uh, he, he said he thinks everybody's trying to play leverage and hoping that everybody would fall out so they could get him for 10 cents on the dollar. And, you know, he said DeMarcus is way too smart for that. Um, but, yeah, I think that, the Pelicans offer him the best chance to win. I mean, the reemergence of, of Rajon Rondo, uh, the emergence of, of, like I said, Anthony Davis doing well. Uh, could you imagine if those guys are able to suit up a bit with each other and actually play a whole season? Um, I think that gives him a better chance of, of flexibility uh, than being the man in Dallas and, you know, having to compete night in and night out. You want to preserve your body, but 
yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, just a little more background on Otis Hughley, not just the Sacramento Kings assistant coach. He was also DeMarcus Cousins' head basketball coach for his high school team at LaFleur Magnet High in Mobile, Alabama. And in addition to that, he served on the Warrior staff under Mark Jackson. So he was privy to, you know, some of the the, the younger years of guys like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. And I want to transition to this, um, Brandon, is that. DeMarcus Cousins plays at a position that has become less and less of value in the NBA. Now, obviously, he uh, he's different in that he is so skilled offensively. He can run an offense. He's a, he's a great passer, a rebounder. His game has expanded to the three-point line. But with that being said, we're seeing less and less of these guys that Hugley coached in China, like Brooke Lopez, Al Jefferson, Zach Randolph, Tyson Chandler. These guys are kind of the old age of the NBA in many respects, and it's kind of moving forward to guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo playing the center position and guys like Anthony Davis, these guys who can, who can fly and chase out on the perimeter. Do you think the game could potentially in the next five years pass to Marcus Cousins by? No, because I think he's such a cerebral basketball player. Um, I think that he can adjust uh, a lot. I mean, you look at his stat line up until the Achilles injury last year, he posted 25.2 points per game, uh, 12.9 rebounds, and 5.4 assists for New Orleans. Um, but in addition to that, I think what makes him special is you talked about Brooke Lopez. Uh, me having covering the Brooklyn Nets uh, their first year in Brooklyn, um, I watched Brooke Lopez's uh, body of work um, evolve, uh, if you will. You know, he was an inside-outside guy but he stretched his, his jumper to 15, 16, 17 feet. And I think that's what today's center is. Uh, you know, you, I think in a lot of respects you have guys like Dwight Howard, um, who, like Brooke Lopez, has expanded his, 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 uh, his range. Uh, I think Dwight Howard was ahead of his time, however, because many people criticized him for not possessing a post game. I think in today's NBA it's very much a finesse game. I think someone like Hakeem Olajuwon would flourish today because he was so ahead of his time in the 90s with his footwork and his ability uh, to, to stretch the floor and take outside jumpers uh, as well. But I think for somebody like DeMarcus Cousins, I think he came in uh, being a Chris Webber uh, type of player, meaning could stretch the floor, can also manage the offense in the half court, um, but also can take a jumper, uh, also can dominate on the floor, kind of like a, a cross between a Chris Webber or a Rasheed Wallace. As you see, Rasheed Wallace, he's, he's coaching a lot of big men now uh, and working and stretching their game as well. So I don't think the game will pass him by because I think DeMarcus Cousins will adjust just like Dwight Howard did, just like Brooke Lopez uh, has. Uh, and I think someone like Brooke Lopez, for example, could start in the NBA for a Golden State Warriors team in, 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 if he were to sign with them in the offseason. So I, I think the, the, the center position is not, a, is not a position that's dying. I think it's a, a position that's evolving. All right, before we transition to our last uh, line of thought, let's get a quick prediction from you from an outsider's perspective. Uh, we've, we've heard guys in New Orleans talk ourselves to death about what we think will happen with Boogie. What do you think will happen with Boogie? I think it's that um, all indications from folks outside of Otis Hughley uh, is that uh, Boogie is interested in staying because I think the intrigue of uh, a Boogie uh, playing with a team that did well without him uh, but also a team that knows what he's worth and somebody that wants him. Who won't want somebody to want you? You know, Alvin Gentry has been adamant about uh, wanting him. Del Demps has been interested about wanting him. And Boogie, even in an, an interview he did with uh, ESPN's undefeated Mark Spears, uh, indicated that, you know, he likes New Orleans. And, and you know, yeah, he's going to be wooed, but I think – 
New Orleans offers him the best security and All right. money and the potential to win uh, with an Anthony Davis. All right. Nice stuff, Brandon. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you uh, one more thing, and it's going back to LeBron James and that, that conversation we were have that, that, that everybody kind of looks to him. He's kind of the leader, and he sets a precedence not just for his own teammates but for the rest of the league. And you recently had an article with uh, Curtis Gordon. Uh, based, He's the uncle of Seth Clark, if anybody doesn't know, and just addressing some of the stuff that's happening around um, – not not just the NBA, but also the National Football League and around our country. Uh, the we've all seen the video with Sterling Brown to this point, and the NFL has has caught a lot of heat from the NBA. Uh, their decision to punish players who who are not standing for the flag. Steve Kerr has been really outspoken about it. Greg Popovich has been out, outspoken about it. Uh, Steph Curry, LeBron James have already made their stance known. Uh, however, we haven't seen anybody kneel at an NBA game yet. What do you think is the best course of action NBA players like LeBron James can do to kind of assist their brothers in the NFL at this point? I think the difference between the NBA and the NFL is I think the NBA uh, has been so forward thinking uh, in the fact that, you know, the M- NFL, you have 1,600 players. Uh, the NBA, you have a little under 400 players. Uh, and in the NBA, you recognize people's faces. Even the bench player could be recognized in a nightclub. Um, that being said, uh, because it's so smaller, uh, they have a voice. I think with the NBA, particularly with its players and the implementation of social media, uh, et cetera, I think that NBA players uh, have been, those who have chosen to be vocal, have been vocal. Um, and I also do think that when you have guys like uh, Steph Curry uh, and, and LeBron James, who have been verbal on social media with our nation's president, um, President Trump, about uh, what's going on, I think that's stating a message. However, I think that sometimes with athletes, many people are down for the cause and, and they're vocal, but I think sometimes players don't even know what they're protesting about. Is it about the flag or is it about domestic or is it about police brutality or what have you? I think that um, where it's smart is, you're, I think guys are able to vocalize what they're, what they're trying to do, I think, on social media. But I think that in the NFL is such a big organization but I think that whether you want to like it or whether you want to admit it or not, Colin Kaepernick was smart to kneel and the fact that it's still a national conversation almost two years later. I think that you'll never see an instance where an NBA player will kneel because there's no, they don't feel oppressed. It's the NFL players who are told that they have to um, be in solidarity and stand for the national anthem or go in the locker room um, to do it. And I also think that the money scale is different. In the NFL – Players have non-guaranteed contracts. The NBA, like Major League Baseball, they have guaranteed contracts. And I think that the NBA players more so run the league than, than its owners. Yeah, the owners own the league, but as far as just being vocal, it's different. I think in the NFL, people are scared to lose their jobs more. And I think in the NFL, unless you're a big-name player, and I think in the NFL, um, they're trying to silence people. The NFL lost money last year. So whenever you're talking about losing money – and try to appease owners and sponsors, it's a whole different ballgame. So I, I think to directly answer your question, I think that the NBA um, and its players get it because it's a predominantly black league, like, you know, Caucasians are the minority. But at the same time, I think the NBA, they understand its players more, and I think that they're more in solidarity uh, in, in certain aspects uh, than the NFL. And you mentioned Stephon Clark's uncle. 
uh, who are appearing on my podcast, Scoopy Radio. You can visit ScoopyRadio.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, etc. Um, Stephon Clark's uh, uncle spoke about uh, Sterling Brown, uh, you know, the rookie from the Milwaukee Bucks who, you know, was tased. I think that one thing that he mentioned was, you know, his nephew, St- Stephon Clark, you know, didn't have the, the notoriety or the or the money that, you know, Sterling Brown had. It comes down to notoriety. Sterling Brown was able to get out of that situation because of his notoriety, because his team stood by him. And also um, the video was released. Everybody's not as blessed or lucky. Um, so I, I think there's a conversation to be started, but um, it starts at home. It starts in the community. And, you know, there's a lot of distrust in the inner city with, you know, police officers and, and people of color. This is Brandon Robinson. You can follow him at Scoop B. Of course, he also works at Basketball uh, Society Online. Uh, thank you so much for letting me put you on the spot. Again, uh, DeMarcus Cousins is, is, is a large point of interest. His future, uh, where he's going to end up this offseason, is going to be something we're going to be talking about up until July, whenever he ultimately chooses his next destination. But I do think it's important to have these conversations, to have your voice heard, and just to, to, to continue the thought and and hopefully find ourselves towards some kind of resolution that that helps improve not just the game, but also our country. The NFL uh, is something that we always closely monitor in in whether you're covering baseball, basketball, football. You always want to see what the other leagues are doing. And I feel like the NBA is at the forefront, like you said, of all those conversations. They're extremely progressive and they usually handle themselves in the right way. And I, I think the NBA is lucky to have a lot of leaders like LeBron, like Steph Curry, like Steve Kerr, like Greg Popovich. So thank you for your comments on that and for letting me steer you in that direction. Of course, he already mentioned where you can find him, Scoopy Radio. Uh, anything else you'd like to plug before we let you go, Scoop? No. Uh, by the time you guys listen to this, you will have seen uh, an article that I wrote uh, with a piece on, on Chris Carter, uh, who was very vocal about um, <laughs> some things going on. So that may be going viral later today, but... Um, more than anything, Scoopy Radio. Uh, we're interview-based. Have any have had anybody from uh, Glory, attorney civil rights attorney Gloria Allred, Terrell Owens, Alan Iverson, Charles Barkley. Um, we've been mentioned anywhere from People Magazine to uh, ESPN's The Jump uh, and more. Uh, ScoopyRadio.com. We got two million downloads last year, and uh, we're on pace to potentially beat that uh, this year. And it's just been a, a wonderful experience. And I'm glad that I was able to talk to your listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You got it. At Scoop B, pleasure having you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, if you like what you're hearing and you want more, be sure to retweet this podcast when you see it on Twitter. Follow at Preston Ellis and at The Bird Rights for all the latest updates on our podcast. Again, you've been listening to The Bird Calls. I'm Preston Ellis. Let's go, pals. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but net here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day... When he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12th handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Geico presents Yikes! Another voicemail from your roommate. 
Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.